and welcome to the latest episode of Crop It Like It's Hot in conjunction with Arable Farming Magazine and The Crop Tech Show. I'm your host Alice Dyer and today we are going to be talking about sustainable weed management. Now seeing as the Crop Tech Weed Innovation Workshop that we had planned for this month at Rothamsted Research now sadly isn't able to go ahead, we thought we'd bring the workshop to you. And if you're on the basis register, you can receive two CPD points for tuning into this podcast, which I'll tell you how to do at the end. I've got some excellent weed experts here from Rothamsted and NIAB, and they are going to talk us through everything we need to know about managing weed populations going forward. The best place to start with this is probably where we're at with resistance. So first off, I'm here with weed aficionado, Dr. David Comont, who is a research scientist at Rothamsted Research. How are you, David? I'm good, thank you. Good. So we're here to talk about weeds today. And I know last year we got the somewhat concerning news that there are now populations of black grass in the UK showing insensitivity to glyphosate. And there are obviously a lot of growers that have been tackling populations resistant to other herbicides for a few years now. So broadly speaking, how is the UK looking in terms of weeds and resistance status? Well, I guess the good news is that globally, the UK is far from having the greatest number of cases of of herbicide resistance. Unfortunately, the species that we do have are causing some considerable problems. So in in total in the UK, there are around 16 different resistant weed species, which have so far evolved resistance to nine different herbicide groups or modes of action. Uh, And some of these particularly earlier cases have been reported from by orchards and amenity areas. But the majority of cases now are coming from arable and particularly cereal cropping situations. So of these resistant species, around about two thirds of broadleaf weeds, so things like chickweed and poppies, which do have the potential to be a big problem. But thankfully, the number of confirmed cases of resistance in broadleaf species as a whole is still relatively low. Now, unfortunately, resistant grass weeds, so things like wild oats, ryegrass, and particularly blackgrass, are now becoming very prevalent, particularly across England. Blackgrass now being reported as the number one issue on many arable farms. And in part, what's causing that is that some of these weed populations are now evolved resistance to multiple different herbicide modes of action simultaneously. So what I mean by that is that different herbicide groups will work in different ways to kill the weed. So theoretically, when a weed becomes resistant to one group of herbicides, you could switch to a different group to kill it. But unfortunately, we're now seeing populations with resistance to multiple different groups of herbicide at once, which makes them extremely difficult to control. And that's contributing to the spread of these resistant weeds. Um, But perhaps more worryingly at the moment is that we're beginning to see signs of of new resistance evolving in UK species. But some recent research studies have highlighted that UK brome populations may be evolving herbicide resistance, and populations of ryegrass may have the first signs of reduced sensitivity to the pre-emergence herbicide Bifenoset. So on top of that, as you mentioned, blackgrass, which already has resistance to, I think, four different modes of action in the UK, has now shown the first signs of reduced sensitivity to glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. We, we know from other countries that glyphosate resistance can evolve in a, a whole range of species. So that gives us a particular concern over whether the same could be happening to blackgrass in the UK. So really, we're in the unfortunate point where for some species we're running out of options for herbicides which we can use. And there are signs that the remaining herbicides might not be effective forever. 
And that's quite a concerning um, situation. So what is the consequence of this resistance in terms of cost to the industry? Well, obviously one direct consequence is that farmers are now having to use more herbicide to provide the same effective weed control. So many farmers are now having to apply increasingly greater stacks of pre-emergence herbicides before the crop comes up and follow that with repeated post-emergence sprays of other active ingredients. And we can see that reflected in UK pesticide usage data. That shows that total arable herbicide usage has risen from about 6,000 tonnes in 2010 to more than 8,000 tonnes in 2018. And when we look at specific herbicide actives like glyphosate, we can see a considerable increase in its usage over the last 20 to 25 years. So really one consequence is that there's just more pesticide going into the system. As you say, there's a significant economic cost to that too. So not only does that herbicide itself cost money, but the resistant weeds compete with the crop, which lowers yields. A recent study estimated that the annual winter wheat yield loss due to herbicide-resistant blackgrass in England is around about 0.8 million tonnes, with about 0.4 billion pounds in lost gross profit. So what's more, it's estimated that a total loss of herbicide control in blackgrass could cause up to 3.4 million tonnes in lost wheat yield annually. So there are some really big economic consequences to resistant weeds too. So in many cases where resistant weeds are particularly bad, farmers are having to change their behaviour to deal with them. So some farmers are sacrificing whole areas of weed-infested crop to limit the spread of weed seeds. In other cases, people are switching to different crop rotations and including things like fallows and grass lays to try and keep on top of the weeds. So all of this means that really farmers are having to work harder for lower yields and with higher costs to ensure that the farms can remain profitable for the future. Yeah, that's really quite a leap in terms of herbicide usage. And this um, widespread resistance we're now seeing, particularly in grass weeds, how exactly have we ended up in this situation? Well, in many ways, the cause of the resistance sort of boils down to an overall lack of diversity, both in weed control and more broadly in the system as a whole. So from an agronomic perspective, we've generally seen a reduction in agricultural diversity with fewer mixed farms and narrower arable rotations, so predominantly autumn-sown crops, things like winter wheat and oilseed rape. And alongside that, there's been a tendency to drill autumn crops quite early to maximise chances of getting them in and established. But together, that provides ideal conditions for autumn germinating and annual weeds, things like black grass, to flourish, coming up in crop where there are fewer options available to control them and setting seed before the crop's harvested. So in order to stop weeds in that type of system, we've become very reliant on using herbicides and herbicides alone because when they work, herbicides can be incredibly effective at killing the weed species. But it's been quite difficult to find herbicides which will kill weeds but leave the crop unharmed or which don't cause other environmental damage. And as a result, there are relatively few different modes of action available. And the ones which are available were introduced a long time ago. So that means that we're using the same small number of herbicides over and over on the same weed populations. And this is generally the primary form of weed control. So in evolutionary terms, we have to say that's a really strong selective pressure, in this case, for herbicide resistance. Uh, very occasionally, a weed plant will have a genetic mutation, stops that herbicide from working. And if that plant doesn't get controlled by some other means, passes that mutation on through its seeds, and soon you end up with a weed population which is no longer controlled by that herbicide. So because this has been happening for so long across so many weed populations in the UK, it's led to the current situation that we're seeing with these widespread populations resistant to multiple types of herbicide. 
And now that's where we're going to move on to Dr Jonathan Storkey. He is a plant ecologist, also at Rothamsted Research, working in the field of sustainable weed management. So he's going to be talking to us all about the importance of avoiding that selection pressure that David has just spoken about through using a combination of approaches. So, John, you're going to be speaking to us about integrated weed management today. So I guess, first off, what is integrated weed management? Is it this kind of Stephen Moss 5 by 5 idea that we're all quite familiar with now, or is it more than that? Uh, it's partly that, Alice, and uh, perhaps a, a, an oversimplified answer is integrated weed management is what we used to do before we had herbicides. So when herbicides came along in the 1960s and 70s, they were incredibly effective and continue to be very effective, giving us over 90% control of the weeds in any, any given field and year. Um, but what's happened is because of that uh, effectiveness of herbicides, we've become over-reliant on them. And we now tend to assume that any solution to a weed problem we have can be found in a can of herbicide. And what we need to be thinking about is how we take a more diverse approach to how we uh, suppress weeds. So if we think what we're trying to achieve through uh, weed control is suppress the overall population or the number of weed seeds we have in the seed bank, what we do with herbicides is we hit them really hard once in their life cycle. So most herbicides will be targeted at either the emerging seedlings, pre-emergence herbicides, or at emerged plants with contact herbicides. And we're hitting them really hard with one weed control tool early in their life cycle. So it's a, a sledgehammer approach, if you like. And then if individual weed species manage to escape that single uh, control, then there's not a lot we can do about them. They, they grow in the crop and then they, they set seed. What integrated weed management tries to do is hit the weed throughout its life cycle. So to use a variety of tools to try and suppress weed populations, not just at the seed and the seedling stage, but as the weed is growing in the crop and reducing the amount of seed that that mature weed can produce. So it's been described as many little hammers. So using lots of different tools to try and control uh, the weed populations rather than one big sledgehammer. Um, you can uh, An analogy might be the, the whack-a-mole game in, in fairgrounds where you're trying to keep the weeds down and you're, you're hitting them multiple times with lots of uh, little hammers. So you're reducing the opportunities that they can uh, cause us a problem. So that's, that's the basic idea. So whereas with uh, herbicides, we have a limited range of tools, of active ingredients, with integrated weed management, we're talking a about a much wider toolbox. So we're talking about things like delayed drilling, crop rotation, strategic use of tillage, using competitive crop cultivars, uh, perhaps uh, thinking about different ways of controlling weeds in a crop using uh, mechanical control as well as chemical control and using a combination of those different little hammers to suppress the weeds and that's where uh, Steve Moss's uh, five in five idea comes from. He's trying to get us to think about combining multiple 
approaches and multiple tools in a combination rather than relying on any one. So in his black grass example, it won't be sufficient just to grow a spring crop once in every three or five years. You need to combine that perhaps with delayed drilling, perhaps with increased seed rate. So it's thinking about a combination of tools rather than one big application of herbicide. Okay, that was a good analogy. And as you say, we know a lot about chemistry and which products we can use to combat certain weeds. But why is it important now to know about the biology of weeds as well? So again, if we start with with where we are now, which is really being very reliant on herbicides uh, for weed control, to make that decision how to use the herbicide, you need to read the label and see what uh, how selective that herbicide is, that active ingredient is. And then what do you need to know about the weeds? Well, you need to know what species they are. You need to identify them and you need to know the growth stage. And if you've got those pieces of information, that's all you need to predict how well your herbicide is going to, going to kill those weeds or control those weeds. If we think back to our toolbox of integrated weed management, which instead of having half a dozen herbicides in it, now has maybe uh, dozens of different what we could call cultural control um, options in it, the response of a given weed species to any one of those cultural control options will depend on their ecology and their biology. So again, if we go back to Steve Moss's five-in-five approach for blackgrass, that has been designed specifically for blackgrass with a knowledge of the ecology of that species in mind. So for example, one of the five options is spring cropping. Spring cropping works for blackgrass because it mainly emerges in the autumn. So his germination calendar is mainly in the autumn with a small peak in the spring. So if you sow spring crops, it gives you an opportunity to control that autumn cohort. Another of Steve's approaches is to rotationally tillage, tilt or plough. So you're burying the blackgrass seed for two or three years. And that exploits the fact that blackgrass seed is relatively short-lived. So if you bury it for several years, it will die. And when you plough again in the third or the fourth year, the seed you bring up won't be viable. So there, that specific advice has been designed around blackgrass. But it wouldn't work for other species with different biology. So, for example, if you have a spring germinating weed like fat hen, spring cropping will select for it, and you will get more fat hen if you have more spring crops. Um, If you have a, a species with a very persistent seed bank, for example, poppy, rotational ploughing or rotational tillage will have very little effect on the populations of that species because the seed can survive in the soil for up to 50 years. So burying it is not a good control strategy. So when you um, think about what is integrated weed management and what is an integrated weed management approach, the central idea is to keep weeds guessing. So what we're not doing is we're, we're not designing a very simple system, which is what we tended to do in the past. Simple rotations, simple use of weed control tools, which creates a a niche for a small number of weed species that are very well adapted um, to that farming system. Rather, we're trying to mix up the tools and mix up the approaches so we have a much more diverse farming system 
And so any given week doesn't necessarily know what's coming next. It doesn't know whether it's going to be ploughed. It doesn't know whether it's going to be a spring crop. It doesn't know um, whether uh, what, what the drilling date is going to be or the seed rate is going to be. So different weeds are being selected for or against at different times in, in the season. So that much more diverse uh, management approach leads to a more diverse weed community. But we need to understand the biology and the ecology of each of those weed species to understand how they will respond to a given weed management tool. Yeah, and I think when you look at some of the resistance data, it's amazing how quickly weeds can adapt to certain situations. Um, yeah, that's right. And, and, and an interesting question that has been asked at the moment is in the same way that uh, weeds can adapt to a herbicide and evolve resistance to a herbicide, can they adapt to a cultural weed management tool? So, for example, if we all uh, delay drilling of our autumn crops, are we selecting for later emerging populations of blackgrass? Um, and there's an example in Australia where they're using post-harvest weed seed destruction. There's some evidence now that for the weed species there, which is which is a ryegrass species, that they might be selecting for populations that are shedding their seed early. So those weeds are avoiding the seed being destroyed at harvest. But again, even if that is the case, the solution is to keep mixing up the management so that we don't create this consistent, strong selection pressure for any given weed species or any given weed trait. Yeah, I think um, I remember reading something a while ago about in rice paddies, they were hand-roguing a certain weed and it managed to evolve itself so it ended up looking like a juvenile rice plant so it wouldn't be hand-rogued. It's it's amazing how clever Mother Nature is. Yeah. So weeds are a bit of a swear word for arable farmers, but is there such thing as a good weed? Um, Well... It's a very contentious question. Actually, I started um, I started my career looking at that idea of beneficial weeds and what weeds contribute to the ecology of the system. Um, but if, if we take a step back and, and think about if, if we all adopted integrated weed management, and probably at this stage I should say that doesn't mean that we stop using herbicides. It means that herbicides are used as one of a number of tools and used in a more sustainable way. But if we all did that and and had more diverse systems and all used a different range of tools in our integrated weed management toolbox, one of the uh, results of that would be the weed communities we see in our fields would be more diverse. So it might be that the total amount of weeds in terms of the seeds in the soil or the number of individual emerged plants was the same, but that community would be more diverse. It would have more species in it because it would have species that are adapted to different management tools, Um, and it would be more even. Whereas now we might have, um, in in any given field, we might have a density of weeds of, say, 12 individuals per metre squared, and it might be that 10 of those individuals are blackgrass, and then we've got a cleavers and a wild oats or a speedwell. So we have very um, uneven weed communities at the moment that are dominated by one or two species. One of the effects of integrated weed management is you end up with a more diverse weed flora. 
something, you know, two or three grands or one or two fathead and then maybe still one or two black brass. So you've got a more diverse even community. The science is indicating to us that if you have the same number of individuals but a more even and diverse community, the competitiveness of those weeds in any given crop will be will be lower because you've got weeds in there that are adapted to other crops and other ecological niches and so they will suffer less yield loss. But also, if you have a more diverse wheat community, that is going to be better for biodiversity. And you're also going to create some opportunities and some ecological space, if you like, for uh, some weed species like annual meadowgrass, like perhaps chickweed or uh, pansies, that tend to be short and early flowering and not particularly competitive and if we create space in the community, if we create space in our cropping system for them, almost as a, an accidental property of our, of our integrated weed management, so we're not deliberately targeting our management to encourage them, but they will, they will naturally occupy some of these wider niches that we create, then that might have some, some benefit for, for biodiversity. And one of the things we found in past work is the weed species that tend to be preferred for biodiversity, for, for pollinators or birds eating their seeds, tend to be the less competitive species. So they tend to be the early flowering broadleaf species like chickweed and, and like the annual meadowgrass. So I, I continue to believe that weeds won't always be bad um, all the time, if you like, but there might be some opportunities to, to tolerate some beneficial weeds. And I know you're currently looking into um, some of these integrated weed management ideas and testing them as part of a European project. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so the, the project is called uh, IWM Praise or uh, Integrated Weed Management Practices and Solutions in Europe. And the idea is that we, we test some of the ideas that I've been talking about at a large scale across different um, European countries. Now, one of the uh, one of the uh, objections, if you like, to some of the approaches I've been talking about, is that they're they're more complicated than they are. So they tend to be very knowledge intensive. I was talking about the need to understand something of the biology of the weeds, and that's where tools like um, the Crop Protect app that, that Laura will talk about might be uh, very useful. Um, and they are less predictable. Um, so it might be that you choose to delay drilling to control your autumn germinating weeds, but then you get a really wet autumn and you can't get in to sow your crop. So that's that's a valid objection. Um, and then the third objection is often it's more expensive. So if you're going to use mechanical weed control, for example, hoeing or whatever, and then you've got the additional diesel costs, and, and it tends to be more uh, complicated and more expensive than... Um, just using herbicides. So that's the assumption. So what we're doing in IWM Praise is we're, we're challenging that assumption by doing a whole range of uh, experiments across Europe where we're taking an integrated weed management approach and we're comparing it with a conventional approach which might be herbicide-based. And as well as monitoring yield and as well as monitoring uh, the weed community, we're also looking at all of the associated costs and the risks of those different systems. And at the end of that, we'll have data from 
perhaps uh, 30 or 40 different experiments across a range of crops and countries. Thank you, John. Some very interesting sounding research going on there. So we'll have to keep an ear out for the results. Okay, so next up, we've got NIAB trials manager, Will Smith, and he's going to talk to us all about cultural controls. So a lot of growers have now incorporated delayed or spring drilling into their integrated weed control programs. And Will is going to talk about some interesting results from NIAB trials in terms of drilling date and the impact on weed control. So, Will, it's been quite a challenging season so far. What impact has the extreme weather we've experienced had on weed control, do you think? Yeah, indeed, uh, crop and anything has been a real challenge this autumn. And it's probably, with for many growers, it's, they're going to be pleased to get anything in the ground. Um, in terms of cereal crops, though, some growers will be in the probably more fortunate position of having drilled and applied herbicide before the rain. Uh, in which case they should be seeing fairly good results um, from those herbicides in terms of grass weed control. The sort of high moisture and, and relatively low UV conditions, this autumn would have been conducive to, to excellent performance, and that's certainly what we're seeing uh, within our trials so far. Obviously, many growers won't be in their camp, um, unfortunately, and they will be more looking at a crop that was supposed to be later drilled, um, and either the conditions didn't allow pre-em to go on at all, or indeed, uh, or possibly just uh, just a late pre-em. And this will probably result in slightly poor control. I think from our research over the last few years, it's really clear that in these late drill crops, it's, it's, it's actually the lack of crop competition, uh, which will be the largest factor in, in the overall level of control as we move through the spring, um, and where the growers will have to begin to make decisions on, on keeping crops uh, that may have high levels of black grass in. Okay, and I guess the concern now is that growers might be considering going back to earlier drilling dates to avoid the situation that we've experienced this season happening again. But what might the consequence of that be in terms of weed control? Certainly, that that's definitely going to be a legacy effect, uh, legacy effect that, um, that that I'd be quite concerned about from this autumn. Um, growers will be more eager to get crops in uh, earlier than maybe ideal uh, when trying to manage back grass and this earlier drilling will certainly increase increase the reliance on the residual chemistry for weed control and will also exclude one of the most single most effective measures that's sort of available to growers at the moment um, and that is delayed drilling uh, having pulled together all of our NIAB, NIABs drilling date trials uh, it shows sort of an average response of 60% reduction in black grass heads by delaying from a more traditional mid-September drilling date into sort of an early October. Um, so, and with further control achieved from the improvement of herbicide performance, as, as explained earlier. So, um, it, it, if growers are going to be going back earlier, they will see a, a backward step in terms of their grass weed control, for sure. Okay, and a lot more people are spring cropping now for weed control but you say there are caveats to consider from your research here, um, particularly in terms of drilling dates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, spring cropping on the whole has obviously been extremely successful um, and we're properly integrated into a management plan for black grass, um, often in several several years of spring cropping. Um, but within that, there's certainly control can be enhanced. Um, as I say there are several caveats. Um, work last year showed that drilling date is... Uh, th- throughout the spring period is as significant um, as it is during the, during the autumn period uh, with a similar pattern of 
reduced black grass uh, and later you go uh, reduced black grass emerging later you go in the season um, however um, early and therefore earlier drilling um, sort of before, for before February can result in as many seedlings as found in autumn sown crops um, however I say from work last year the best balance really in the spring is to delay the drilling until the beginning of March where these warming soils can help to drive the competitors of the crop getting it up nice and early um, and hopefully these crops will then yield well and should have no requirement for a grassroot herbicide because they're so competitive they, even though there's, there might be 30 plants of black grass per metre squared uh, this competitiveness is able to really reduce them down and subsequently have less than one head, black grass head per plant Okay and we're talking a lot about black grass here but what about other weeds like ryegrass in terms of drilling day? Indeed um, the problems with ryegrass uh, are obviously fairly well documented uh, like, like black grass it can it has a autumn predominance uh, in terms of its germination with uh, much less probably 20% of the overall population coming up in the spring um, and in reaction to this we've sort of formulated a matrix trial uh, looking at both drilling date and cultivation to see how the overall advice that we typically give for black grass control uh, relating to both the cultivation and spring drilling and how that looks in other weeds so from this, uh, if you're comparing sort of to ploughing and non-inversion types of cultivations, direct drilling seemed to be less effective for Italian ryegrass. And subsequently, the actual use of spring cropping was less successful when compared to a typical reduction in ryegrass. It seems that being such a competitive weed, uh, even though there'll be a similar number of plants compared to an average blackgrass field, uh, able to, the ryegrass plants are able to till it more profusely with greater seed return, um, and therefore being uh, and therefore spring cropping overall is, is less effective. Um, having said that, though, um, it is still a very very effective option and should certainly be considered um, at fighting a fighting a ryegrass problem. And that point there just really reiterates understanding the biology of the particular weed that you're fighting. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And and. You're doing a PhD looking at um, mechanical control methods with Garford, who, for those of our listeners that don't know, um, they manufacture precision hose and inter-row weeders, um, mostly for veg crops. So what exactly have you been looking at there? So, obviously, yeah, as you, as you notice, sort of, uh, mechanical weeding um, is, is not new. Garford have been around for several years and other companies are getting interested. Um Particularly, it's beginning to gain traction in the UK um, as the effectiveness of post-emergence control options for particularly black grass uh, have dwindled in their, in their efficacy. So our work has sort of several parts to it. Um, personally, I'm sort of looking at the number of cultivation occurrences and subsequently then the timing of these to sort of maximise grass weed control. Seems obviously targeting small plants in the autumn works best for herbicides, but is this actually possible for cultivations if we consider conditions? And if, if it is, does that actually begin to prolong the germination period of the weed? And you end up with a greater problem that you can't latterly control. Um, alongside this, a commonly cited barrier um, to sort of using inter-row cultivations is that a wider row space is needed and, mm. uh, and that this can sort of affect, uh, can be detrimental upon, upon crop yields. Um, however, it's really interesting to then think about that, um, whether whether when there's less weed pressure at the wider row spacing and whether that can the weed pressure can reduce yields more 
uh, in a narrow row crop than the, the effect of row width at a, at a wider row crop with no weeds in it. So that's, part, that's another part of our work. Um, and then the other concept that probably sits outside my PhD, but something that um, not I was very keen to be exploring much further, is how sort of inter-row cultivation can best be integrated alongside the, the use of herbicides, which are still in the most effective um, uh, uh, in, in the UK. So really one method that we're, we're sort of testing is sort of segregating the herbicide and the cultivation so that the herbicide is sprayed in just a narrow band uh, over the crop row, whilst the hoe they will then cultivate the remaining space between the rows at a suitable latest timing. Um, sort of on the spaces that we're looking at, this is reducing herbicide use by approximately 60%, which is obviously good both for the environment and for crop margin. However, this work has just begun, um, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see, see what we come up with uh, in the next few years on this topic. So that ties in really nicely with what Jonathan was saying earlier um, in terms of integrated control and using a wide variety of different methods. Yeah, absolutely. It all, all, all links in really well. And if we need to be using herbicides early in the season, but taking a taking this sort of method later in the season in the spring, that might be a really nice compromise um, using a variety of, a variety of control techniques. So that could be a real game changer for arable farmers if we can get that kind of weed control in cereals. Now it's time to hear a bit more about how technology can help with weed control. So we've got Laura Crook here. She is a weed ecologist from Rothamsted Research and she's going to tell us a bit about the Crop Protect app. Crop Protect is a website and app that provides information and guidance to farmers and agronomists on the common pests, weeds and diseases found in UK combinable crops. There's a function um, to create an account and then at the top of the species pages there's a button to say I have this and so then if the farmer or agronomist is out in the field and notices that there is a pest problem then they can click on this button and that will record um, that that information against your account. And so how does this app support the idea of integrated weed management? So integrated pest management is at the heart of what Crop Protect would like to achieve and our idea for integrated weed management is to provide users with an added functionality within the weed section um, that would help with IWM. So for instance we could um, add more information about weed biology such as germination dates or dormancy. And then the aim is to provide the decision scenario, including different weed control options, so that users can see what the effect would be of the management for one weed species and how that might affect weeds on farm. And this could um, help them with the risk management um, for the short and long term. We recognise the need for a better understanding of weed biology on farm and hope that this function will become a useful tool within Crop Protect. And if any of our listeners want to download the Crop Protect app, you can visit the website cropprotect.com or the app itself is available on Apple and Google stores. Um, Crop Protect only has one P in it.
I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. So thank you very much to all our speakers and thank you for tuning in at home or in your car or tractor or wherever you might be. Hopefully that gave you some ideas for a few extra weapons in your battle against weeds. For those of you on the basis register, you can claim your two CPD points for tuning in by emailing your basis account number, which can be found on your ID card or certificate, to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk and quote the name of this podcast. Moving on to next time, we are going to be looking at grain marketing and we're going to give you some insights into how you can get the best out of your crop this harvest, including grain store preparation and some marketing tips as well. So I look forward to you joining me next time. Bye.